Good evening, this is Quintus Curtius, and welcome back to the Fortress of the Mind podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to be talking about the topic of I feel like I have no purpose in life. And the subject came up because of a recent email that I received from a reader, a very poignant email. And the gist of it is that this is a guy who is uh, in his 40s, his early 40s. He feels like he's achieved everything professionally and personally that he currently wants out of life, but yet something is lacking. He feels like something is missing, and he's feeling, I think it would be accurate to say maybe an existential crisis. He feels like he's lacking a purpose in life, a deeper purpose. He's been doing all the things that everyone told him to do, and he's achieved those things that he wants, but yet he feels like he's made for better things and larger things. So what we're going to do is we're going to read his email, and then we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to offer some solutions, some tentative solutions, because I think this is the type of subject that many people are feeling, not just him. And I think the subject is made even more poignant by the fact that I know this guy. I've met him before. Uh, the circumstances aren't really important, but I've met him before. Very squared away guy. Very, very nice guy. Very generous man. Uh, the, the type of guy that you can say of that he has a true generosity of spirit. And you can just feel it when you talk to him. So he's a very, very good guy. So I know that he's sincere when he's writing me and emailing me. And I'll call him Mr. L. That's his, uh, the first letter of his, of his first name is Mr. L. Uh, I know that he really means that he's looking for answers. So let's first read his email and then we'll go into some discussion here. You know, I just got this email today and I could tell he was a little bit upset. So I wanted to try to get a podcast out right away in order to provide him some guidance. So what he says is this, he says, um, and it's interesting, this guy's a doctor. For some reason, I've been getting a lot of emails from doctors lately. I don't know what it is. Uh, well, I think like any high-intensity profession, there's just a lot of dissatisfaction that, that people are feeling in the profession. He says, I'm 42. He says, Quintus, I am 42, family, kids, secure, respectable and high-income job, debt-free, great health, etc., etc., when people ask me, how are you doing? My answer is, I have no complaints. I literally have none. I have been blessed. I cannot ask for a better wife. I cannot ask for better kids. I cannot ask for a better job. I mostly do whatever I desire, but lately I feel like my life is just floating, as echoed by others. There is no more excitement. He says, there is no more excitement. I set out to achieve a career and I did it. I set out to meet the type of girls I would like to meet, and I did it. I wanted to be debt-free, and I am. I wanted to read a lot of books, and I am reading at least one a month. I wanted to travel, and I still do, but something is missing. I feel like it's my purpose in life. And so then he goes on to basically talk about how, uh, you know, about seven or eight years ago, he felt like something was lacking in his life. He wasn't meeting the type of women that he wanted to meet. He felt like he was socially awkward. He felt like he hadn't achieved the type of success socially that he wanted. He wasn't attracting the people into he wasn't attracting the people in his life that he wanted to attract. And he actually set about systematically to do that. He read books on 
you know, how to meet people, uh, how to get your act together, your, your dress, your speech, your talk. Uh, and he actually overcame those. And I, I really find that inspiring. I've actually met this guy. And I know that he's not just making this up. This is, he, he, I mean, the story's been corroborated with others. And I find that really inspiring because everybody talks about wanting to be better. Everybody talks about wanting to improve. Everybody talks a good game. But it's very rare to see someone actually take steps to turn it around and actually have the humility to ask others for help and to take steps to do that. So when I see that, I really, really respect it because you know, I feel like I was the same way. You know, I knew that there were issues that I needed to solve when I was younger, and I felt like it took a real strong sense of willpower to do that. And when I see others do it, I can only respect that. You know, and like I said before, I really think that there are many people that are suffering from the same sort of existential crisis. And when I was driving home from work today, I was thinking about this email, and suddenly I thought of the perfect, uh, the, the perfect quote to read to this guy, to Mr. L. Um, I've, uh, you may know the author Michael Crichton. He was popular in the 90s. Michael Crichton, uh, last name is spelled C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N. And he was a author of a lot of these popular novels, like science fiction novels. He wrote Jurassic Park. He wrote Congo. He wrote uh, Travels. He wrote a couple other books, which I've read. And I, I can't remember the timeline. I can't remember the names of all of them. Andromeda Strain. Um, but anyway, what the, the, my favorite book of Michael Crichton, and these are great, great airplane books. They're kind of disposable. They're light enough, but yet they're also thought-provoking. His book, Travels. If you ever get a chance to read Michael Crichton's Travels, Mr. L, read this book. You're going to, uh, this book really, in many ways, was uh, in the 90s to me, uh, very influential in the way my thought process developed at that time. In, that, in the 90s, when I was getting out of the military, I was kind of deciding what to do with my life. I needed to have certain new paths laid out for me. And what I like about this book, Travels, is that this is a guy, an educated guy, who had the humility and the willpower to actually change his life. And you might like him also, Mr. L, because this guy was a doctor. He was trained as a doctor. He went to Harvard Medical School. Uh, he didn't really practice medicine. He got involved in screenplays and writing novels and, and, and directing and, and that sort of thing. But he does have a medical background. But anyway, when I read your email... What I was immediately reminded of was a passage in Michael Crichton's Travels. And I'm going to read this to you. It's so good and it's so relevant and pertinent that I'm going to read it to you, uh, this, this section. I'm looking at the, this is the version, the 1998, uh, I'm sorry, the 1988 copyrighted version of Travels. This is on page, page 107. And he talks about, the passage starts out that um, he basically, he's saying in, in 1973, he was flying back from the premiere of his movie Westworld and it was success it was a successful movie he realized that everything was going great in his life everything was doing fine he had every reason to feel optimistic and happy and successful and he had all these great things going on in his life and suddenly he was seized with an anxiety attack suddenly he was seized with a panic attack because he realized 
that everything he thought was in order was not necessarily in order. Everything he thought was great was not necessarily great. And let me read to you this passage when he says those feelings that washed over him. He says, so he's, he says, uh, sitting on that airplane, I literally felt on top of the world. Suddenly I broke out in a drenching sweat. My clothes were, were soaked within, within seconds. I was panic-stricken in the grip of a powerful anxiety attack. But why at this moment of airborne elation? It took a while to figure it out. All my life I had pursued clear goals. In high school, to get a good to get into a good college. In college, to get into a good medical school. In medical school, to become a writer. As a writer, to make a movie. I was 30 years old. I had graduated from Harvard, taught at Cambridge University, climbed the Great Pyramid, earned a medical degree, married and divorced, been a postdoctoral fellow at the Salk Institute, published two best-selling novels, and now had made a movie. And I had abruptly run out of goals for myself. I was stranded within my own life. That was why I broke into a sweat. What was I going to do now? I had no idea. In the following weeks, I fell into a lethargy, then a a full-blown depression. Nothing seemed worthwhile. Needless to say, sympathy for my condition was in short supply. To be depressed by success was not exactly attractive or or even understandable. My friends didn't realize that they might be next in line. So I took to haunting bookstores, buying $500 worth of books at a time, carrying them off in cartons. I read books on every conceivable subject, dinosaurs, hot air balloons, Charles II, saturation, diving, Islamic art, weather forecasting, computer graphics, Indonesian cooking, criminology, Benjamin Franklin, the Himalayas, Victorian cities, high-energy physics, tigers, Leonardo da Vinci, the British Raj, witchcraft, vegetarian cooking, the Inca Empire, and Winslow Homer. Since nothing interested me, everything was equally uninteresting. But one day, one day, I came across a book called Be Here Now. That's the title of the book, Be Here Now. It was an esoteric, quasi-religious Eastern philosophy book of the sort I didn't usually look at. But there was something about it. It had a handmade quality and an odd shape that caught my eye. The author's name was Ram Das, formerly Richard Alpert, an expelled professor of psychology at Harvard. I had been a reporter on the Harvard Crimson during the 60s when Alpert and his colleague Timothy Leary were thrown off the faculty for giving LSD to undergraduates. I remembered those incidents well. Now here was his book. So I took it home and read it. The book was in three sections. The first section contained straightforward prose. The second section contained the section the second section consisted of hand-printed words and pictures, a kind of messy collage, and the third section was a was a guide to meditation. I read the first section. I expected to find the disorganized ramblings of a poor fellow, the disorganized ramblings of a poor fellow whose brains had been scrambled by too much acid and too many mystical journeys that went nowhere. Instead, I found a lucid history of a driven, successful East Coast intellectual who suddenly found his life, his houses, his cars, his lovers, his vacations, his work to be deeply unsatisfying. I knew exactly what he was talking about. I felt exactly the same way. Richard Alpert, a Harvard renegade and obviously unbalanced man who had gone off the deep end of his life, now appeared before me as somebody identified with strongly. I had a juggling act to do, 
to make it all right for me to agree with him. Richard Alpert must have must must have had something on the ball after all. But there was a further implication. Alpert, now Ramdas, the new name stuck in my throat. I didn't even want to say it. Ramdas had gone to India, and after several years he had come back with answers that seemed to work for him. He seemed to feel better about things, to have a new perspective. So he had made a pilgrimage to India. Should I do this? I couldn't stand the idea of it, the implications of it. I could not see myself as a holy seeker after truth, wearing white robes, contemplating my navel. I still shopped at Brooks Brothers. I still liked Brooks Brothers. So there had to be another way. So I'll conclude that passage here. I think I think we've read enough of that for now. What he said was, he said he began to travel again. Okay, He didn't go off on some mystical journey like Ram Das did. But what he did do was he hit the road. He hit the road and he began to travel. And, you know, that, to me at least, travel is such a universal tonic. It solves so many problems. You know, I'm listening to an audio book right now about uh, Theodore Roosevelt, some aspects of his career, specifically about his, uh, his journey down the Amazon River, which I wrote an article about recently. And the, the book talks about how when Theodore Roosevelt was always overcome with remorse or depression or grief in his life, he would always do some strong physical exertions. You know, when he was a young man, he uh, suffered an incredible tragedy. I mean, just to, just to imagine this, in the span of one day, his mother died and then his wife died. His mother died, I think, of uh, typhoid fever, which in those days was a big deal. And then his wife died of some kidney ailment for which there was no cure at the time. Now, he lost the two most important women in his life in one day or within 24 hours. And needless to say, he was devastated. He was, in his diary, he wrote, the light has gone out of my life. And he just put a big black X. And that was it. And Theodore Roosevelt was not a man who was given to drama. He was not a self-pitying man. And when they say he was crippled by grief, they meant it. I mean, his family feared for his life. Uh, but what he did to put a, a bomb on his his bereavement was he headed out to the bad the badlands of South Dakota and he took up ranching. For two years, he just remade himself. He remade his life. He took a new direction. And similarly, when he was faced with defeat after the, uh, I think it was the 1912 election, Theodore Roosevelt ran for an unsuccessful third term. He tried to, he made an, he was one of the first guys uh, to make uh, one of these third party bids for the presidency. He had already served two terms. He tried to run a third time on his own party, the Bull Moose Party, and he failed miserably. And he was, uh, he was overcome by depression. And so what he did was he set out on the road again. He went to South America and undertook a perilous Amazonian journey because he always was this, the type of man who felt like he had to physically test himself. He was always searching for those boundaries that uh, could explain to him and define for him the limits of his physical abilities and mental struggles. Now, I'm using extreme examples 
We don't have to be like Theodore Roosevelt. We don't have to give up our lives and go off and do something like that. But I think what we can do is we can incorporate some of that thinking into our lives. You can go on a sabbatical. There's no reason why at some point, if you're successful in your career or if things are going well, you can't take six months off. You can't take 12 months off and go on a sabbatical. I've had relatives that have done it. You know, If you really want to do it, you can do it. You can, you can undertake, you can do a, 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 a one-week or two-week retreat. You can go to uh, you know, some retreat somewhere, a monastery, uh, some place of contemplation, and immerse yourself in a totally different experience, free of internet, free of cell phones, free of nonsense, and you can really see a different perspective on life. So there are ways to do it. You don't have to give up your life. Because the second part of Mr. L's email essentially goes on to state, I read the first part of his email. He talks about how he's missing, he feels like he's missing a sense of purpose. He basically is saying that he wants to to undertake sort of a new direction in his life. You know, there are basically three things that he lays out here. You know, he basically says, currently I want to do something to protect or to help other men in Western society. But having teenage kids, I'm bound to the system uh, where I really feel like I can't do very much. But he wants to help other guys improve in the same way that he improved. And then he says philanthropy. He says, call me crazy, but even as a kid, I had delusions that there were there were great designs for me, that there were, uh, there were big plans made out for me, and I want to be a philanthropist. I want to help. I want to reform... Uh, you know, healthcare systems. I want to bring clean drinking water to parts of the world. You know, I think it's great. That's fantastic. You know, I even I made a podcast recently about charity and the importance of charity. And the third thing he talks about, he says, oh, I want to develop my spiritual self. Develop the spiritual self, he says, submit to the higher power of life by simply fulfilling uh, the basic commandments and spread as much good as I can to people on a daily basis that I come into contact with. He says, um, uh, maybe life is not supposed to have a purpose and I am way overthinking it. My apologies for such a long post and bearing with the mental masturbation. Well, Mr. L, you know, you don't need to apologize because this is the sign of an active mind. This is a sign of a fruitful mind. And these are the kind of existential questions that everybody who has a brain goes through. Only a hopeless drone never questions anything in his environment. Only the most beaten down, uh, you know, you know, rattler of slave chains is ever going to just go through life blithely unaware of anything else except a plate of food that's put in front of him. So these are good questions. These are not, you don't need to apologize for that. And I think we can safely say that the best way to, you know, everyone needs to find a sense of purpose. Everyone needs to have that. But there is no one path. There is no one road. Now, I read, I mean, I know what, what works for me, what I think is the best way uh, to find your, for you to find your path is to read about what other great men or great women, you know, there, there are some out there, uh, great people have done and find out what examples inspire you and imitate them. There's no better thing you can do than imitate great 
men of the past or the present and try to incorporate what they've done into your life. I mean, that's that's how I see it. Because if you can see that someone else has done something, if you can see someone else can serve as an exemplar for you, then you're going to have that confidence to incorporate part of that philosophy into the way you live. So you need to find someone that you can identify with. And maybe Michael Crichton's Travels would be a good place to start. You might want to read this book. It's a, very, it's a quick read. His books are very light. But it's a, it's, each chapter is very interesting. It kind of is a separate uh, vignette about some life experience that he had. He talks about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, about some scuba diving experiences. But it's, it's a very, I found it to be a very poignant book in some ways that it's kind of hard to describe. But that might be able to set you out on your journey. And the other piece of advice I said, I think, is again, we have to try to solve, you have to try to solve these problems by imitating the, or learning from the lives of great men of the past. And, you know, I'm telling you, uh, you know, I've tried to be as well-read in history as I can, and I think I've, I've done a good job at doing that to some extent. And these type of existential crises are very common. You know the couple examples that come to mind. Uh, one of the great, uh, one of the great Islamic mystics. I remember reading about um, Al Ghazali, Abu Hamad Al Ghazali. He was a, a medieval theologian, and he was a teacher. I think in, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, either Al Basra or Kufa or Baghdad. I, I don't remember exactly what city, but he was a very conventional guy, learned man, and suddenly he just he just underwent some sort of mental or uh, emotional breakdown. He gave up his teaching, and he went and instead went on an entirely religious path. He basically just gave up his current life and went in a totally new direction. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you should do that. That may be um, the point. The only reason I bring it up is the, the point is that people can and do make changes in their lives or they incorporate uh, things uh, in their lives that that uh, that can be uh, uh, you know help them to make changes uh, another example I think Blaise Pascal the philosopher Blaise, he was a mathematician a very successful mathematician and he suddenly went in a new direction and became sort of a I don't know religious mystic in some ways and he wrote uh, these very deep uh, these, these, these uh, pensées his thoughts a very profound book and there are many other examples you know, you don't even have to go back that far in history. They're, they're, all, they're all around us. And if you talk to people and you meet with a lot of people, you can find many who have done the same thing. People that have just found ways to bring some meaning into their lives by exploring their passions. So, you know, when you say, you know, you want to explore philanthropy, do that. You know, you've got, you know, uh, uh, volunteer to go on a sabbatical to, you know, do something somewhere, uh, you know, if you are trying to cultivate your spiritual self, maybe read some books, then maybe take a retreat somewhere in whatever religious affiliation you have. It doesn't matter which one it is. And explore that. I mean, you can do these things. I mean, you don't want to do anything drastic. I think the best way to go down these paths is to start out gradually. You know, dip your toes in the water gradually. Get your your feet and your body acclimated to the new water. And then... Answers and directions will begin to suggest themselves to you once you do that. So follow your instinct, follow your gut. If you're feeling an existential need 
to pursue different activities, then do it. You should do it. You know, the, the people's lives are not static. People's lives are not just okay. I, mean, I got into the school, I got out of school, I got a job, and I'm done. And it doesn't work that way, or at least it shouldn't work that way, because if it does, then you know something's wrong. You're not learning. You're not developing. And you know, I, I, I'll bring up one final example, and it doesn't really have anything directly to do with this, but it, it, it it's related to the subject of existential crisis. You know, I'm sure everyone's seen the movie The Exorcist. Well, William Friedkin, the director of that movie, great director, one of the one of the best, one of the best American directors of the past few decades. He always said that the real subject of that movie was the priest, Father Karras, his his finding of faith, his his going through that terrible ordeal and finding a purpose in life, a meaning in life. It, it really what the exorcist really is a story of his resolution of his existential crisis. And if you see the movie again, look at it that way. Try to look at it from a different perspective than maybe you've looked at it in the past. There are scenes in the movie when he talks to another uh, another priest, basically. I think he he's basically says, look, I, I've lost my faith. I don't feel a mission in life anymore. You know, A lot of these people that I meet with, they've got problems that go deeper than I can handle. They have, uh, they have the meaning of their lives problems. They have faith problems. I just can't hack it anymore. I don't feel like I can do anything anymore. And that kind of reminded me also of this email I got here from Mr. L. And, you know, obviously his way of, of overcoming that, um, of that terrible existential crisis was going through a deeply um, traumatic experience, this, this exorcism that he and, you know, the other uh, Father Marin went through. Uh, and the resolution of the movie is irrelevant for the point I'm trying to make. I'm trying to make the point that intense personal experiences can help us overcome these existential crises where we question the meaning and purpose of our lives. Because there's no deeper question that you can ask than the one you just asked, Mr. L. It's the deepest question that anybody can ask. And I think the commonality of answers that I see is we have to try to seek out and to explore intense personal experience. And by plunging ourselves, plunging ourselves into these intense personal experiences, whether they're travel experiences, whether they're spiritual experiences, or whether they're philanthropic or charitable experiences, going through that catharsis will somehow make the answers clearer to you and will help you find your new direction in life. So that's what I would encourage you to do. That's my answer. Approach this problem in a systematic way. Start reading first. Do your research. Read Michael Crichton's travels. Do more research on other things that are related to that. You know, make your pilgrimage. Do some travel. And and I think you should do it alone. You don't do it with your spouse because this is a problem that, that comes from within you. You don't need to take your family on a trip like this. This is a personal voyage that is particular to you. And I think once you do that, some answers hopefully will suggest themselves to you and you'll be able to move on to a new chapter of your life. That will conclude the podcast for today. I'm Quintus Curtius, and this was brought to you courtesy of Fortress of the Mind Publications. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd actually ask you to go to iTunes and rate me on iTunes so that others can find this podcast. And I hope it's been uh, useful in providing answers to people who may have the same questions. I'm Quintus Curtius. Good night.